0: Exploring the Word of God together allows us to share in the joy that comes from discovering the words of hope and salvation which overflow from our Bibles. Upper Room Media presents to you this educational, enlightening and entertaining Bible study. Prepare to be transformed. In the name of the Father and Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our study in the book of Psalms today. We will study Psalm 4. Psalm 4 actually is called Evening Psalm. It's one of the Psalms that people used to pray at night. It's a specific kind of psalm because it's a psalm of someone who is falsely accused of something they did not do. And To be honest with you, like, there's so many things that can go wrong throughout the day that you might be able to deal with. But when, some, when people start saying wrong things about you and rumors about you, it's actually quite difficult. If You guys remember, for example, in the story of Job, that Job was able to take the, the killing of his children, the loss of wealth, the disease. But the one thing that really made him suffer when his friends came and told him, you must have done something wrong. You, have, you must have committed a sin. So when people touch your reputation and touch your image, it's actually a quite difficult challenge. And it's difficult for somebody to sleep at night when people have accused him falsely. When people accuse him falsely. Some people say that this psalm is related to the period when David ran away from Absalom. Like you see some verses as like humiliated in in verse 2, shrouded by lies, surrounded by lies, verse 2, anger, gloom. Some people say it's related to the period when David was running away from Absalom, but it's not clear. The psalmist did not put a specific sign for it. This is one of the psalms, remember a long time ago when we we did the introduction to the book of psalms, we said there are some psalms of praise, some psalms of thanksgiving. This is also considered to be a psalm of lament. Psalm of lament. You're struggling all day with people talking bad about you, and it's at night, and you're going to sleep, and you're trying to sleep, but you can't. So you're trying to lament what's happening, that you might be able to find rest in God. So the psalm is so beautiful. The psalm is actually divided into four different sections. From verse 1 to verse 3, it is the Lord who answers prayers. 1 to 3, the Lord who answers prayers. Verses 4 to 6, trust in the Lord. Verses 6 to 7, pray for confidence. Verses 8, rest in peace. Let's take them one by one. The The first three verses is the Lord who answers prayer. So what is he saying? He says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. He's telling God, God, I have been accused unjustly of some crime. And David the prophet, even though he has been accused unjustly, he does not have a specific request that he's telling God. All he's telling God, God Hear me. I want to vent. I want to tell you how sad I am. He's asking for God to hear him. And he's asking for mercy. He's asking for mercy. Which is quite interesting. Why is he asking for mercy? Because a lot of time... A lot of time what makes people who are victims face difficult time is that because part of of being a victim is that you also feel guilty. And part of his life, he probably feels guilty. And it does not mean that he didn't do anything wrong. It could very well mean that he did something wrong. But he's asking for God's forgiveness. These are the two things he's asking for. He's asking that God hear him. He's He's not asking for revenge. He's not asking for God to come and destroy the people who talk bad about him. That's not what he's asking for. He's asking for mercy for himself and for God to hear him. The fact that he's talking to God and calls him God when hear me me when I call O God of my righteousness the fact that he's talking to God and calling him the God of my righteousness it speaks volume. To his trust in God. By the way, the word righteousness in Hebrew means Siddiq or it means just. So he's actually appealing to God's character as the upholder of justice. He's telling God, God, you are the God of my righteousness. You are the God of justice. You are the God that I have a personal relationship with you. I have a covenant with you. I have a strong relationship with you. So he's coming to him and telling, God, you are the God of my righteousness. Also, by the way, the word righteousness is also important. Because it's connected and related to the fact that when people offer sacrifice. When people offer sacrifice, one of the the graces that they receive from the priest, he tells them, May the righteousness of God be upon you. So here in this passage, when he says you are the Lord of my, God of my righteousness, it means that you are the God that I sacrifice to, that I offer sacrifices to, that I offer prayers to. And that's actually quite important because he's not talking about David himself being righteous, but he's talking about how David becomes blameless through sacrifice. So the God of my righteousness is a just God who I know. He's also a God who made me blameless blameless because of the sacrifice I offered. And it's actually wonderful because he's telling God, God, you are the God of my righteousness or God of justice, but he's also telling him, have mercy on me. So he knows that God is just, but he also knows that he himself is not worthy enough or strong enough to stand in the justice of God. He's telling him, have mercy on me. People are talking bad about me, but I want you to hear me, and I want you to pray. I want you to have mercy on me. Verse 2, he says, How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love worthless, worthlessness, And seek falsehood. How long will you love worthlessness. And seek falsehood. So Now as he's praying. You can think about this with me. He's lifting up his heart to God. All day long people talk about him. Part of him is. He's also. His mind is as if he's talking to people. He's distracted. Like all of us. Sometimes you stand in prayer. And you have a big problem. And you pray to God. And then your mind goes back. As if you're talking to people. Back and forth. That's exactly why he's struggling. But he's struggling in the presence of God. He says, How long, you sons of men, will you turn my glory into shame? Who are the sons of men? Most likely, he's talking to the rich people or the wealthy people in his community who are turning against them. It could be if it during the story of Absalom, then those who went with Absalom, or it could be those. Like for example, the leader of his army, Joab, gave him a hard time, it could be those who lived with him. Those who lived with him. And you see the same similar reference in Psalm sixty two nine. He says, Surely men of low degree are vapor, men of high degree are a lie, if they are weighted on a scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. So the men who are the sons of men, he's focused mainly on those who are wealthy, those who are controlling in in the community. Now it's quite important because what happens is, is that as he's praying, he's getting distracted almost, and if as as if he's talking to people, and he's talking to people and he's telling them, Why are you turning my glory into shame? What does that mean, why are you training my groom? A lot of times, for example, you do something right and people bring it down and make fun of you. You go on vacation and you're fasting and everybody else is not fasting. And people start telling you, you know, you're ruining the, you're ruining the vacation, you're doing this, you're doing that. You take communion every day. People say, why do you take communion every day? Monks didn't take communion every day. Did you talk to your father of confession about take communion every day? As if like you're committing a big sin. You abstain from food. People say, oh, this is, this, is, you know, this is too much and this is not healthy. And Why are you turning my glory into shame? He says those people are seeking falsehood. It's almost like part of this as David is talking and complaining and lifting up his heart to God He's still getting what's inside of his heart. He's venting in front of God. He's telling God what's happening. And he gets distracted. He almost talks to God. And then what happens? The word Salah. What's the word Salah means? There is silence. Music goes up. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's the word. And and he starts kind of reflecting more. Once he reflects more, he goes back to God. But know that the Lord has set apart for Himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call him to Him. But know that the Lord has set apart for Himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call Him. Look here, some, verse 2, it's so beautiful. Verse 2, he says, How long, O ye sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? Verse 3, what he says in verse 3, But know that the Lord has set apart for Himself him who is godly. What is the word set apart for? It means holy. God makes you holy. He says, how long you, turn, you son of man turn my glory into shame. You want to take my glory, my holiness and turn it into shame? He says, by the way, what I discovered in prayer, that it's not up to you. God is the one who sets me apart. The answer is actually with God, not with you. And that's why it's, it's, it's quite known in our church that a lot of the Holy Fathers the church, like for example, Pope Corleus and Pope Shenouda, they were accused falsely for many years. And maybe some of their beautiful life did not come out until after the death. So the psalmist, as he prays, once he reached the word salah, he comes down, his thoughts are calm, the spirit comes in, And he answers his own question Through the Holy Spirit The Spirit answers him He says it's not the people Who are turning your glory into shame Everything depends on God Everything depends on God God has given you more than your enemies There is a clear change that happens In the voice and the soul of David at this point now, verse four and five, after this little introduction, and after he spoke about asking God to hear him, asking God to have mercy on him, getting distracted, then the spirit brings him back and answers this question, "Now he brings us to trusting in the Lord." So what is he saying? Whatever he says is not only for the congregation who's hearing him, it's also for himself. He says be angry and do not sin Meditate within your heart On your bed And be still He discovered almost a way This is a, a very interesting verse He almost discovered an answer To himself and to the enemy At the same time He says the enemy is angry And I'm angry For the conclusion is He says be angry and do not sin He's still addressing the sons of men and giving them advice. He says you can be, be angry. But don't sin. You can be upset. But don't curse. And don't speak bad. About people. He says practice self-control. And the second advice he's giving him. He says meditate within your heart. He's almost turning into like a father of confession. Telling people how to deal with anger. He says one. The first thing you need to do. Is do not sin. Hold yourself. Self-control. The second thing is, how do you have the self-control? Is meditate within your heart, on your bed, and be still. Take time to calm down. This is all he's discovering within prayer. God is telling him, calm down. Be still. You guys know, for example, in the New Testament, there's some people who got too angry. A couple of the disciples of Jesus Christ and in in Luke 9 chapter uh, verses 54 they were in Samaria and people did not receive Jesus in Samaria what did they say and when the disciples James and John saw this they said Lord do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did they got angry because people would not respond to their message and wanted to kill them and this is God by the way rebuked them God rebuked them here, what David the prophet is saying, he says, the people are trying to turn my glory into shame. They're trying to do all these things. I'm getting angry with them. Now, for me personally as David, the Spirit is telling me, okay, it's okay to be angry, but do not sin. The second thing, I need to meditate on my heart, on my bed. I need to be still. I need to calm down. And this is also the same advice that David is telling the people, those who are angry with him and those who are turning his glory to shame. Also one of the things that's really important is one of the saints one of the saints said that it is important for you to be angry with your sins not angry with anybody else. Be angry and repent. When I'm angry at people, I'm motivated by pride. And some people take that verse and says, the Bible tells us, be angry and do not sin. So that's an excuse for them to be angry and to scream and to yell. No. The one thing that I should be angry with is my own sin. And here, when David the prophet is saying, be angry and do not sin, he's not talking about angry against the people, against his enemies. He's probably angry at himself. For the way he thought that the answer was in the hands of people, not God. How long will you people turn my glory to shame? And it turned out to be God is the one in control. And by the way, this is important. Since Empress was saying, in his time, the Greek philosophers were trying to give immunity from punishment from those who commit crime while they're angry. Because he said, when you're in anger. You're in a state of you cannot control yourself. So they want to give them some sort of immunity. Obviously, that did not work. All right. So the scripture is telling us when you're angry, angry, be, be angry with your sin. And there are so many, so many treatments for anger. So David already, through the spirit, gave us two, two ones. One, to practice self-control. Number two, to meditate. Obviously, you can offer thanksgiving. You can go confess your sins like David asked for the mercies of God. You can examine your past action and try to find uh, a way to, to remedy them. And then he goes to the third advice. He says, "Offer the sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord." So after David told them, "Pluck the self-control, meditate on your heart," as if he's telling them to repent and sit by yourself and sit still and think about your mistakes. Now he's telling them, "Offer the sacrifice of righteousness." And put your trust in the Lord. Sacrifices of righteousness; those who are offered properly, those who are offered from people who are not just doing rights. but they're doing them from a spiritual sense. He's talking to leaders. He's talking to himself. It's actually, tell you guys something interesting. And I mentioned it early briefly. In the time, in the time of, of, of the of the of, of aaron and moses and even time for lord jesus christ what happens is the priest would offer incense in the holies and once the priest finishes offering the incense he would come outside and bless the people and after he blesses the people they go in and offer the animal sacrifice so what is the blessing that the priest will tell the people after 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 the, he offered the incense it's in numbers chapter 6 verses 25 26 he will tell them, the Lord will make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his contents upon you and give you peace. So he's telling them, offer the sacrifice of righteousness. Why? They are angry. Now they're going to go to church and the, the Lord will give you peace. The Lord will, offer, will lift up his contents upon you. The Lord will be gracious to you. Another way to, greet, to, to treat anger is to go and receive communion. This is, by the way, that happened in the story of Zechariah when he was in the temple. It says the people were waiting for him outside. Why were the people waiting outside? Because they cannot offer the animal sacrifice until Zechariah comes out and gives them the blessing. And then they offer the animal sacrifice. They're waiting for that blessing of peace. David is saying to himself, it's evening psalm. I could not keep my thoughts. I'm distracted. I prayed to God. I told God, God, hear my prayer. Have mercy on me. As he's praying, he got distracted. And he's telling him, people are attacking me and people are, why are, why are you people doing this? He even forgot that he's talking to God. Then he took, takes a moment of salah, a moment of calmness. The Holy Spirit speaks to him and tells him, those people have no control over your life. God controls everything. Then he comes back and he reminds himself, I need to control my anger. I need to be angry with my own sin. I need to be angry with the fact that I did not trust in God and I thought those people control the world. I need to meditate more. I need to sit still more. I need to go back tomorrow and offer sacrifice. Now, what is David doing? He's inviting his enemies to taste God. Look at verse 6. He says, there are many who say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your contents upon us. He's reminding them, by the way, of the sacrifice of Aaron, the one I just said. It says, Lift up your contents upon them. It means, some people says, You know what? Do you really think the sacrifice will do anything? Do, do you really believe when you go and the priest tells you the, the, the Lord will lift up his contents upon you, you're going to receive anything? Do you believe that? When you pray, God listens to you. Do you believe that when you actually go and give tithe and offer to the poor and all that stuff, this is really something you're doing because you're a good man or because you're doing it just to feel good about yourself? Now he's saying, there are many who say, who will show us any good? He says, Lord, lift up the light of your contents upon us. Who's us here? It's David and those who are saying who will show us any good. David was angry earlier. Now he's praying for his enemies. He's praying for those who are doubting. He's praying for those who have self-pity. He's praying for those who do not want him to pray. He's praying for the faith of the people who are with him. This is what's happening with David. See how his prayer is changing? Now verses 7 to 8... It's prayer for confidence. It says you have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that the grain and wine increased. What is he saying here? People, he says, just to make the connection, verse 6, he's praying for everybody, even for the people who are far away, those who even claim that God doesn't do anything for them. But David tells God, no, there's something significant you have done. What is it? You have put the gladness in my heart. You have given me joy inside my heart that nobody can explain. How did David overcome the voice of doubt that he started with? Not, the fact, not only the fact that the Spirit told him that God is in control, but the fact that his heart became filled with joy. He came in with all these distractions, all these worries, all this suffering, and now he's joyful. He told him, you have put gladness in my heart. There's actually some translation. It almost says, you have stamped my heart with gladness. You know how we usually stamp? What you usually use to stamp? you use the, you use the picture of the king to make a stamp. It's a picture of our Lord stamped in his heart. And that's an, a perfect example to show that that happiness does not come from outside. It comes from within. When David meditated, he sat still. He decided to go to church next day. His heart was filled with joy. Filled with joy. And here, look here, he says, uh, you, feel, you put gladness on my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. What is he talking about here? There are some people in the time of David the prophet who would offer wine and grain to the idols. Like for example, they had a pagan god for fertility. So those who were not, give, not able to give birth, they'll bring in wine and grain and they offer some prayers and they believe that in, in all this stuff, somehow they will be able to give birth. And obviously giving birth in this time was significant and was so much joy. Like for somebody to give, to give actually child, it's so much joy. Whether, whether it's Jewish or not Jewish. Because children were considered to be part of your wealth. Part of how great you are. So he's telling him, the gladness you have given me is more than those who even get children in a way. More than the season that their grain and wine increased. More than those who have children by their false fertility gods. And by the way, some of these, some of these false worship entered Israel as well. So what, is, what makes you confident, David, so much is because my heart is full of joy. Is this joy normal? It's not normal because I was so distressed and people talk bad about me and nothing changed. But there's a significant change in my heart. This heart is so, this joy is so, so big. Bigger than any false god out there. Bigger than the music. Better than the dances. Better than going and having fun. Better than drinking. Better than any, all these false gods. Better than all the wine and the grain. Better than the making more money and the investment and the money and the richness. What's inside, it's a stamp inside my heart that I cannot explain. And now, verse 9 Remember he started by the fact not able to sleep, his thoughts are troubling him. He says I will both lie down in peace and sleep. Wow. He couldn't sleep at the beginning. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I'm not only happy, but now my thoughts are calm. You, you know, do you guys understand how difficult it is to like have an issue with people have rumors about you and talk bad about you? And within five verses or s- sorry nine verses. He says, hmm, "Now I feel good. I'm going to go to sleep." He closes with a sense of confidence and peace. Sleep. He says, "By the way, he says, um, he says what? I am both lie down in peace and sleep. What does it mean? I lie down, sleep, uh, lie down in peace and sleep. It's not like I'm going to sit on my bed and play with my phone because I can't sleep. He's going to sit on his bed and he will fall asleep. He's, he's, he's." He's determined. He knows that this is going to happen. All right? Why? Because you are for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. There's a, there's a, quite, there's a quite connection between how David makes his faith explicit and how God responds. In verse 1, for example, it says, When I call, answer me. In verse 3, where it says, The Lord hear when I call. The Lord heard when I called. God of my righteousness in verse 1. Verse 5, sacrifice right sacrifice. There is there's 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 a give and take in prayer. Be gracious and hear my prayer in verse 1. Verse 3, the Lord hears when I call. Verse 4, speak in my ear. Verse 7, you have put gladness in my heart. Upon your bed, remain silent. Both eight, I both lie down, sleep. Remember the advice he was giving, people telling them telling them sit on your bed and lie down and meditate now he's past the point he's meditating and he's able to sleep and he's fine all his issues were resolved in that psalm he turned actually to be a person who prays for everybody prays for his for his enemies a person is able to sleep a person is over to ever able to come people who speak bad about him this is a truly wonderful psalm that we can pray especially at night when our thoughts are distracted and our minds are not able to focus on prayer, and glory be to God forever. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart, and we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.